Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm Simon. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's really good to see you all tonight. Um, If you wonder why I'm dressed like this, I don't usually dress like this, uh, but tonight we're thinking about holidaying. Um, and uh, I just thought I'd get in the vibe, right? I uh, thought I'd just throw the boardies on, and uh, like, have you ever seen that film, The Holiday? You know, yeah, a few people, yeah, it's great, good on you, we're friends, that's a great film. And uh, anyway, the, the only trouble with that film is it's set in like you know, the Northern Hemisphere, so it's snowing, and I'm always like, it doesn't really relate to us, particularly in a day like today, where it's like scorching outside, but... Uh, Anyway, I thought I'd get dressed up, and I've noticed a few of you sort of cashed up tonight as well, probably because of the, the heat as well, but it's really good to see you here tonight. We are in a series uh, t- at this time, and um, if this is your first time at City Light Church North Adelaide, welcome to church. Uh, we are um, at the end of a series we've called Common Sense for the Silly Season, um, and you might look at me and go, I can see why you do that sort of thing. Um, we uh, have been seeking to uh, think at this time, the silly season, that's what many people call it, this time of the year where, um, you know, everything kind of gets intensified, people are shopping more, hanging out with difficult people more, um, having to, you know, everything just gets a bit silly um, and we're rushing all over the place. I've had a silly weekend. Um, I, uh, to be honest, like, one of the last things I kind of wanted to do tonight was come to church, just to be honest with you, because we've had a mad weekend um, with all those catch-ups with everyone that all have to happen in December. I don't know what what is it all about, but um, anyway, uh, we've been thinking a bit about this idea of common sense for the silly season. Uh, Week one, we thought about what it looks like, how do we deal with difficult people, Uh, what does it look like to be Christians who've um, come into relationship uh, with God who has, well, viewed us as difficult people ourselves and yet loved us, shown us mercy, and uh, that's a resource that we have in us and around us to live at peace with difficult people. Uh, we've thought um, about uh, coping with consumerism. How can we think better about how we consume at this time of year? Um, we all spend more, you know, November, December, gifts for people. How can we think better about that? What does God's great gift to us in the Lord Jesus uh, mean for how we give? Um, and we thought about giving more meaningfully um, rather than just giving stuff uh, as well. We, we thought about showing hospitality. Um, God has welcomed us strangers into his family. And uh, he's, he's done that because he's hosted us. He's shown us hospitality. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to show hospitality to others that they too might move from being strangers to being part of God's eternal, amazing family. Uh, the power of hospitality. And uh, last week, Tran opened up the Word of God for us and we thought about eating and drinking. What does it look like to eat and drink and be merry to the glory of God? This time of year, I mean, I've just eaten my way through the weekend, basically. I was driving here today going, I'm having nothing for dinner tonight because I haven't overindulged. I've just had a lot to eat and uh, lots of meals. And, but how can we not kind of get sucked into that whole self-indulgent thing and think about receiving food and drink as a great gift from God and giving him the glory for it and eating in a way that we seek satisfaction not in what we're eating but seek satisfaction in Jesus himself, remembering that. And tonight we're thinking about how to take a holiday. I'm just going to take my hat off um, because it'll distract you for sure, no doubt. Um, 
We're thinking about how to take a holiday. Now, as we think about this, I'm not going to go through tonight my, you know, top tips for taking a summer holiday, although I have many, you know, uh, which we can talk about over dinner tonight. Um, I was thinking, should I tell City Light Church North Adelaide about my top five beaches that I've ever been to in my life? And I thought, yes. Yes, I will tell you about my top five beaches. I thought long and hard about this, more than the word of God. No, um, Here they are. Here's my top five beaches that I reckon we can debate this tonight. This is, anyone know this? This is Knight's Beach at Port Elliot, where everyone at this time of year will go down to, because that's what Adelaideans do, right? We go to Port Elliot or Victor Harbour at Christmas. So this is Knight's Beach. Love it. There's rocks. There's big waves. There's people doing cool things on surfboards that I wish I could do, but I can't. Um, It's a great beach. Uh, Here's the next one. Uh, Vivon Bay on Kangaroo Island. Anyone been there? Yeah, and you've survived, you haven't been eaten by a shark, that's great. Um, it's beautiful, right? Um, it's freezing cold, the water, um, because it's basically, there's an, there's an iceberg just in front of you, basically, lapping up. No, um, but it's spectacular on Kangaroo Island. Um, this is my, probably, this is probably my top five beaches, not in particular order. This is probably my favourite. This is Brunswick Heads Beach in New South Wales. Um, it's kind of like my favourite place in the world, I reckon. Um, there is, um, yeah, it's little sleepy town with a tidal river. You walk across that to get to this beautiful beach up near Byron Bay. It's just a a magic place. Don't go there because I'm the only one who's allowed to go to Brunswick Heads. Uh, Next one's Anglesey Beach in Victoria on the Great Ocean Road. Um, It's a favourite of mine because it's where I kind of grew up. Um, My grandfather lived in Anglesey. Lots of family holidays, lots of icy poles and streets, ice cream on the beach, it was really good. And this is the last one, this is Bang Tao Beach in Thailand. Um, probably the best beach I've been to in Southeast Asia, I reckon, although there's little creatures that nibble at your legs when you're in the water, like sea licey things. But apart from that, it's beautiful. Um, I used to race um, some triathlons and stuff, and this was the first place I raced a, a big race overseas, and so there's a few memories there, but it was a beautiful spot. Anyway, there you go, top five beaches of all time. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about what does it look like to take a holiday. Now, I don't know, who, who's on holidays already? And if you are, you need to leave. No, um, welcome. It's good to see you. Well done for coming to church on your holidays. It's really good. Um, some people are on holidays now. Some people are looking forward to the end of this week, perhaps, because then you get to knock off maybe when the office closes down. Um, there are people as well who don't seem to think that this is a great time of year to take holidays, and so they don't take holidays. They maybe take the public holidays, but sort of press on, hoping to take holidays later on. Um, I'm kind of one of those people. I love January. I love the chilled out time that January is. Everyone else is, you know, half of the world is on holidays. And the people who, you know, are at work are kind of just in the vibe of holidays. They're not trying very hard. So everyone's just kind of a bit lazy and sleepy, and it's a really nice time of year. Everyone's a bit more relaxed. Um, And, uh, you know, anyway, how do we take a holiday? How do you take a holiday? And how do we think biblically, how do we think Christianly about taking a holiday? Effectively tonight, I just want to think through maybe like a, a biblical theology, a bit of a big story of holidays in the Bible, um, or a biblical theology, a bit of a run-through of what does rest look like for us Christians? That's what we're going to think about tonight. So how about I pray, and then we'll get stuck into the Word of God tonight. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your, good, your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for um, 
The air that we're breathing right now, Father, the fact that you are keeping our hearts beating and we're, we're alive and well. We thank you that the Lord Jesus himself is alive and well, that he has died for our sins. He's risen triumphantly from the grave. He's risen to your right hand, sent the Holy Spirit, left us with your word, and we pray, Father, that just as he is alive and well, your word would bring us to fresh life tonight. Father, we pray that by your spirit through your word, we would hear Jesus. That by your spirit through your word, we would, we would see Jesus. And tonight, Father, we pray that we would hear, love, and, and love Jesus, in, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thinking biblically about taking a holiday. And the first question I want to ask is this one. Um, where do holidays kind of actually come from? Um, I just assume that I get holidays, right? Does anyone else just assume that? Like, I'm alive, I'm a human being, living in Adelaide, I just, I get holidays. And I get to go to beaches at holiday. Where does holiday, where do holidays actually come from? Well, here's the thing, right? Those who kind of, I mean, there are people who actually study this stuff, right? So they're the scholars, the experts in holidays and that sort of stuff, tell us that the modern understanding of the holiday is about 200 years old. A guy named Fred Inglis wrote a great book called The Delicious History of Holidays, worth reading if you're on holidays. Um, he basically says, um, the modern understanding of holidays and kind of tourism began after the, uh, the Industrial Revolution, about 200 years ago, 1700s, 1800s. Um, with, the, with the Industrial Revolution came sort of increased wealth, um, increased mobility, people could get around a bit more, and so people then had opportunity to explore kind of places, you know, beyond their backyard. They could get around, they could see things. And uh, so the, the holiday experts, or the, those in, who believe in this stuff, they say 200 years is about our modern history of the holiday. Since then, right, holidaying, tourism has become a massive industry. It's huge. And guess what? You and I, Australians, we are experts at taking Holidays, right? So here's just a little bit of data about our relationship with holidays. Um, this is a snapshot from sort of some ABS data. Um, every week in Australia, well, every year in Australia, we spend $40 billion per year in Australia on holidaying and tourism, right? That's 3% of our gross domestic product, our, G our GDP. Um, every week, you and I are spending $77 per person on holidays. You may not feel that, right? In total, $4,004 per year per person on holiday. That's what we're doing. It's huge, right? You know what? That figure, $4,004, I think I said this five weeks ago. I think the $4 is the cup of coffee that you, you buy when you're in the airport waiting to get on your flight. Just sort of knocks you over the $4,000. Not that I've ever bought a cup of coffee for $4 at an airport. But, um, but that number, $4,004, that's twice the world average on spending on holidays. Now, we can explain that away a little bit, right? We can say, well, you know, Australia is a big country, so flights are a bit more expensive. Australia is close to nothing, um, and so we have to fly a long way to get anywhere. But it actually doesn't explain it all. We love our holidays. Like, we are into holidaying. Um, I mean, we are, of course, the land of the long weekend, right? So, like, you know, we are, it's, it's part of who we are. So modern holidaying is about 200 years old. We spend a fair bit. But, see, the, the basic concept of the holiday actually can be traced right back to the Bible, actually. I'm not kidding. I said a little while ago um, that grammar is good for you, and then I said etymology is good for you as well. So the actual etymology of the word holiday is actually that. 
holy days. I'm not kidding. Like, that's what it is. The idea of celebratory time off is almost exclusively from religion, mainly sort of Jewish and Christian kind of thought. Little bit of pagan festival thrown in for good measure. Um, And I reckon that's something, like the fact that holidays really comes from the Judeo-Christian ethic is something I think our non-believing, particularly our atheist friends, can actually give God thanks for. So when you are, you know, hanging out with those people over Christmas time, they go, oh, and holiday's great, you can say, guess where they came from? The living God. And they'll say, no. And you'll say, hey, etymology, you know, and then you'll be able to take them through all this. We gave them holidays. There you go. But given this, right, here's the big idea for my sermon tonight. Um, you know, if you want to start your holiday early, here's the cheats version. Here you can go straight in. Here I want to say tonight, any Christian, any gospel-centred, Bible-fueled approach to holidays will see holidays as a gift from the Lord for the renewal of our body and our soul. Any biblical understanding or approach to holidays will see holidays as a gift from God to be uh, for the renewal of our body and our souls. That's what we're thinking about tonight. Um, in the context when you know the, the, when Jesus appears in the ancient world, the Greek and the Greco-Roman world, um, they had occasionally some feasts where the world, you know, their, their society would kind of stop and pause and celebrate things. But rarely was there any sort of time off associated with those feasts. Most ancient historians basically say that it were, you know, the elites of the society, the very well-to-do, didn't do any work at all, but the majority of the population were slaves and peasants, and, and, and they worked 24-7, non-stop. It's pretty much the way. So the elites, no work at all, tiny percentage, everyone else worked 24-7. The Bible, right, challenges this. You know, in a world where there were no weekends, there was no annual leave, where there was no sick leave, there was no idea of long service leave, the Word of God has a particular thing to say about work and about rest, about work and rest. So that's really my second point tonight. So holidays, been around for about a couple of hundred years. Um, We are really good at holidaying in Australia. The Bible sort of basically tells us that holidays are to be received as a gift from the Lord for the renewal of our body and our soul. And then the Bible has a lot to say about work and rest. That's what we're going to think about. The first thing to say, according to the Bible, work is really significant and important. It's almost sacred, actually, you could say work is. And, and it's sacred not for just the elites, and not just for, the, sorry, not just for the, the, the servants and the slaves, but it's actually really sacred for everybody. And we see this back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, so we meet Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God is the creator. He creates Adam and Eve. Adam, the word Adam, literally is Adamam, which is mankind. And so God creates mankind, creates Adamam. And so Adam becomes basically the representative human being in the, gen- in the creation account. So have a look at Genesis chapter 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made earth, the earth and the heavens. Now the Lord God planted a garden in in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Thinking about work, right? What I want you to do is quickly turn to the person because it's a hot night, everyone's kind of on holidays already, you know, it's a bit sleepy. What I want you to do is turn to the person next to you and say, what do we learn from that passage about work? What do we learn from that passage about work? Have a quick talk. I'll give you like 74 seconds for this one. What do we learn about work? Genesis chapter 2, those few verses. Go for it. Have a think. What do we learn about work? What, uh, what do we learn? Yell it out. What do we learn about work about from this passage? Yell them out. Just bam, bam, go. We were created to work. Yeah. Good one. Anything else? It's good. Yes. Yes. Work is good. Yeah. It's a gift. Yep. Anything else? What's that? Sorry? Can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Last takers. Anyone? Anyone? Work came before sin. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You can preach on that another time, Mark. Yeah, it's great. Really good. Really good. Far out. You're too smart for me. True. Great thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that's what we learn in this passage. We learn a whole bunch of things in just that little bit of text, right? Um, we actually meet first that God works. The living God worked. He worked and he made the garden. He worked. God worked not just to make the garden, but he worked in making us, like made man, made humankind in his image, God worked, he placed humanity in the garden, in the Garden of Eden to work the garden. To do, yeah, to do what? To do to work. And that's a great point, you know, Mark. Work was around before everything kind of went pear-shaped. So work is actually part of God's good, creative order. But the big point I want to say is God has worked, and therefore those made in his image, we work. The, the idea, and I'm, I'm aware there are people, we live in a city, right, where, it's, where employment is not the greatest. In fact, I think we have the highest unemployment rate in the country. So I appreciate there are people who are either out of work, maybe here tonight, and also struggling to find work. But the the idea of not contributing to the world is actually foreign to Scripture, foreign to the Bible. The Bible has a really high work ethic. You know, I don't know, if you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know, I can't wait until I retire at 50 and then I'm going to spend the rest of my years just visiting Jacko's top five beaches. You know, that's what I'm going to do. It's actually not biblical. It's, it's actually not what you're made to do. It's also a bit like, you know, the, the gap year. I'm not, don't put your hand up if you've done a gap year because we might have an issue tonight. But, you know, that gap year where people finish high school and go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to travel the world, be unproductive, do nothing, and then come back and start a career where I can retire at 50 and go and visit Jacko's beaches. Let's not go into the gap year in too much detail, but the idea of being unproductive is actually just, it's not biblical. It's not what we're actually made for. The Bible endorses work. It is good, but it also endorses rest. So Genesis chapter 2 tells us actually that God rested from his work. So Genesis chapter 2 verses 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. God God made all things. He worked and then he rested. 
And I want to say this right here is a powerful affirmation for you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, um, of the, the affirmation of both work and of rest. There's no more powerful affirmation for work and rest in an ancient culture to say that God works and rests. I'd love to show you tonight, we don't have time and you don't want me to go into this in detail tonight, of just how Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this idea that God works and he rests, is a powerful kind of argument or polemic, they call it, against all the other ideas that the nations around Israel had of how the gods work. Just really briefly, Israel, right, it's a real place in the real world, ancient history, surrounded by other ancient nations, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Assyria, all those other nations around them had their idea of how the world came into being. Most of them had the idea that the gods were up there and and they were kind of enjoying life and they went, we've got to get some stuff done, so let's make humans to just do all that for us, you know, like let's just, they can be our slaves, they can be our lackeys. But But the idea of God being a God who makes things but then rests... The bottom line is God works and rests. So do we. We work and we rest. And you can find this throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Scriptures, but one great place to go is the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20 and into Deuteronomy chapter 5, um, where you'll find the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments is all about rest, about Sabbath. Have a look at chapter 5. Here we go. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, either you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In short, what we see here is that the Lord God who made us, he's honoured in our productivity. He's also honoured in our rest. And this idea you'll only find in the Bible. You know, I think we're conditioned, right? We, we live in a world to think that the, the only honourable thing to do with my life is be super productive. We live in what we call a meritocracy, right? Where you know, the more you achieve, the more you do, the more you will get rewarded. And so we kind of just keep on working. We don't stop. For sure, yeah, we, we honour God with our work, with our productivity. But we also honour God when we rest, And you'll see that, right? The Sabbath, this idea of stopping and resting, is partly to the Lord. You'll see that. Just go back for me, one brother. You see that in verse 14. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's, you know, when you rest, it's to the Lord. Partly it's to Him, to honour Him. But it's also the second half of that verse, you'll see down there, um, nor any foreigners hiding in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. So this Sabbath, this idea of one day a week resting and pausing and stopping is partly to the Lord, partly for us. The command is kind of relax, everyone. You know, you relax 
Relax the kids, the servants, the foreigners. I love how the animals even get included in there. I don't know how you arrest them. You just don't take them out of the pen. I don't know. But just, hey, chill out, guys. Just, you know, relax at the Sabbath. I don't know. But the Sabbath is partly to the Lord. It's partly for you. My big point here, right, is God has built us for productivity, but he's also blessed us with rest. He's built us for productivity, but he's blessed us for rest. Partly relaxation, partly for worship. So our times of relaxation and rest aren't just kind of chilling out, doing whatever I want. They're partly worship, right? They're related. As we rest, we're also worshipping. Now, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago when we thought about um, hospitality. And we saw when we looked at hospitality in the Bible that one of the greatest, one of the most beautiful images of salvation that we, and the kingdom of God that we find in the scriptures is that theme of banquet, the picture of a banquet, sitting down at a table of fine wines and aged meats and all that sort of stuff. That's what we see. But I would argue that probably either equal to banquet, but maybe just slightly more significant for the Lord in terms of a picture of the kingdom of God is, the, is rest. It's a massive theme in the scriptures. When God turns up on planet Earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we, we find Jesus whining and dining and resting and engaging with sinners. We also see him inviting people into rest. So Matthew chapter 11, you know, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest. It's a huge theme of the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures and in particular in the New Testament. But if we do go back, this idea of you know, rest being connected to worship, partly for you, partly for the Lord, you come to Psalm 95 and you hear these words. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, the psalmist says. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my Rest. The psalmist is saying that to enter the promised land is to be at rest. You know, after being rescued from slavery hundreds of years under the oppressive hand of the Egyptians, to be rescued by God out of Egypt, wandering around the promised land for 40 years, God's people, when they come to the promised land, in there they find rest. Rest from their enemies. Rest in the presence of the Lord. Obviously, Psalm 95 is saying, like, don't be like them who failed to enter the rest. But rest is connected to the promised land, the kingdom of God. And then you go wind forward to the New Testament. You come to Hebrews chapter 4, our second reading tonight, where the concept of rest is connected to the kingdom of God. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, and then a little bit later. For somewhere, the writer of the Hebrews says, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. Pause there, right? Have you ever had that moment where you'd be reading the Bible with someone and this idea comes and you go, somewhere in the Bible, the Lord says something about something. And you've, you can't remember, like, is it Isaiah 53? Is it Malachi chapter 3? You know, you don't know. Like, Spare a thought for the, you know, the writer of the Hebrews, right? When the writer of the Hebrews is writing this, he hasn't got a Bible neatly packaged with numbers, like chapter numbers and verse numbers. He's, it's fine for him to go, there's somewhere in the scriptures we read this. So give him a break. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. 
It goes on. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. Again, God rested. We meet that idea again. But the link the writer to the Hebrews is making here is that God's rest at creation and the weekly sort of routine of resting for his people are actually pointers to the rest we will experience when Jesus returns and we go to the new creation. Back in Genesis chapter 1, rest was a pointer to final salvation. All the joy and the feasting and the renewal. It's God's favourite picture of salvation. Where all our striving and our toil is over. Where you're welcome to the banquet table of the Lord. Where you kick your shoes off at the door and you get to rest and worship the Lamb. So it's no wonder that Sabbath is partly worship and partly rest. Just a really quick side note here, like when you come to the New Testament, right, um, the New Testament neither abolishes the Sabbath, like this ordinance to keep one particular day, you know, free, um, doesn't abolish it, nor does it sort of kind of, yeah, say you have to do it. So Romans 14, 2 to 5, this side note, um, basically says you can make up your mind, you're free to do whatever you want with the Sabbath. And yet Colossians 2, 16 says we're not to judge what other people do with their Sabbath. Um, So there's this freedom we have now in Jesus um, to do what we want. But again, my big point is this, right? And two parts is my big point. Um, Firstly, God endorses work and rest. God endorses both work and rest. And I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Um, I I don't think many of us here have a struggle with the work bit, you know, whenever I talk to any of you and we sit down for a cup of coffee and you kind of take a big breath, I say, how are you going? Oh, I'm just so busy. Everything's flat out. I've got no time to do anything. You know, I don't think we struggle with the work. Maybe some people do and we need to take a, work, like a reminder here that work is actually really important. Um, don't be lazy. But what about rest? What about rest? Do you believe in rest? I reckon it's... I reckon it's hard for us to rest in our culture Uh, for a couple of reasons. I was listening to something by Tim Keller during the week where he shared four really interesting little points about why we struggle living in our culture with rest. Um, These are the four, really quickly. Um, He said, and I think it's applicable, he said one of the reasons why we don't rest very well is job insecurity. So people are concerned, you know, if I don't work really hard, if I don't look like I'm working really hard, if I don't do impressive things, then I might not be able to keep my job. And there are people behind me wanting my job or outside wanting my job. So there's that sense of which I can't stop because my my job's a bit hazy and shaky. That's the first one. He also said um, there's been this real shift in the way we work. uh, And in terms of, he said, in big corporations, uh, he said uh, the big, you know, the the disparity between the lowest um, income earners in a company and the highest income earners of the company used to be about 10 or 20 fold. So, you know, the highest income earner in the company would earn 10 or 20 times the lowest income earner. Now he says it's like 100 or 200 times. The gap's really huge. And that impacts both ends, right? So you've got the people up here are earning squillions and they feel like they can never leave work, right? I'm getting paid $80 million a year. I've better put in the hours, right? So they're working their butt off. 
But the people down here, they're not earning very much at all, and so they're having to earn, maybe do two or, two or three jobs to kind of pay the bills. And so they're, everyone's working hard, changing economy. Thirdly, we all experience this, and don't, I'm not a downer, but technology, technology, you know, those phones. I feel like a dinosaur when I say that, you know. Um, you know, technology, right? Everything made in this world is subject to blessing and curse, right? Um, technology can be a blessing and also be a, a bit of a curse for us. The reality is our smartphones and our laptops mean we can work everywhere, anytime. Um, I remember someone, you know, when I was in Sydney, um, I was meeting up with them and said, oh, guess what, I've just had this new job and they've given me a Blackberry. And they showed me and this thing was glistening, you know, like beautiful. And I said, you know, the reason why they've given you that is so that you, they can contact you anytime. You know, like, it's, that's the reality, right? We, we, technology, blessing, it's also a curse. We can work everywhere, anytime. It's hard to create the boundaries. And the fourth thing Tim Keller actually said, which I think is really helpful, um, he said, formerly in our culture, um, our identity, our, what it meant to be a human being was more bound to our family and that sort of part of our life, you know, who we were connected to in a family and friendship sense. And yet, slowly over time, and really today, so much of our identity, he was saying, is now bound up with what you do. What is your career? And because so much of our identity is bound up with our career and our job, we're striving often to do more and to achieve more so that we would be recognised more and be more of that thing. And so we are endlessly striving to create an identity rather than receiving one. And so that, I think, leads to our inability to rest. I certainly resonate with pretty much all of those things. So God's word endorses work. It also endorses rest. We should believe that. And secondly, the big point is rest is partly for us, and it's also partly to the Lord. Rest is partly for us, but it's also partly for the Lord. And I wonder if that's a new idea for you, right? Sure, you know. My top five beaches, whenever I've mainly been at those beaches, I've been thinking, man, this is wonderful. I'm just, I'm feeling good. I can feel my life just coming back into me. This is all about me. Rarely have I stood on Bang Tower Beach and gone, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful beach. I've often thought it's all about me. But God's word says that our holidays, our rest periods are actually partly for him, partly to the Lord. And we see this reality played out in the life of God's people, old and new. Just really quickly, my third point, holy days, old and new. The rhythm of life for God's original people, the Israelites, involved a weekly kind of Sabbath, a day where you down tools, down the animals, down everyone, you rest. And then also, so you had this weekly kind of routine, and then you have these annual kind of events or festivals, which would sort of cause you to kind of also rest and worship God. So you had a weekly Sabbath and then these festivals, right? And Leviticus chapter 23, which I'm sure you listen to absolutely every single word of that, basically details these three big events, these big festivals that happen on an annual basis. So you had the, the big celebration of Passover around March and April. You had Pentecost celebrated around May and June. And then you had Tabernacles, which is the, like the feastiest of all the feasts, you know, um, around September, October. Um, Israel's life was characterised by this, a weekly rest and then these big sort of 
annual kind of celebrations and periods of feasting and rejoicing and, and worship. Now, the reason why these three are the big giants of the year, right, is because, right, they all involve pilgrimage to Jerusalem, right? So if you're living, I don't know, a few hundred k's away from Jerusalem, you've got to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals, which basically means it's probably going to take you like a week to walk there, you know, and then most of the festivals went for at least one week at a time. And then, you know, you pack up and you've got to walk another week home. So these guys are, you know, away from home for long periods of time. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Like if we could just say, sorry, not coming to work for three weeks. I've got to walk to Gawler, you know, to celebrate something. I don't know, you know, and we could just, you know, your boss would like, well, catch you later. You can stay in Gaul. No, but there was this, this rhythm and rest. And the thing that I think is really important is rest and worship were combined for God's people of old. It wasn't just about my time, my renewal. There was a worship element to it. And what we see here in the pages of scripture and the lives of God's people, they had a wonderful work ethic and a wonderful rest ethic. The question is, do you? Do you? These annual festivals, right, were times of feasting and family and rest and renewal and and joy. What about us? Again, dinner's waiting next door. I haven't got time to discuss tonight how those big three festivals find their complete fulfilment in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But with Jesus' fulfilment of all those things, the early church then established their own great festivals of feasting and family and renewal and joy to shape the year. And they are Easter, with all its fasting and its feasting. They're Christmas, which you haven't worked out, is around now. We're in the silly season, with all of its feasting. And then there was, like every Sunday, the, the, the church reformers were really into Sunday. They said Sunday is the day when we all get together as God's people and we feast together because Jesus is alive. Every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. And so if you're into fasting, the reformers would say, you can't fast on Sunday. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of feasting and gathering around the risen Lord Jesus and celebrating and anticipating what is to come when Jesus returns and we're with him around that banquet table forever. Um, This is what one really clever guy says about this. He says, this is Andrew Sheed, the Sabbath day was a sign of eschatological rest. That's the rest we're all looking forward to if you're in Christ a well-chosen day upon which to gather to encourage one another in daily, unceasing striving to enter Sabbath rest. The only gathering which can be truly described as sabbatical is the gathering of saved sinners who will reign with the Lamb forever in the new creation. When we gather here on a Sunday, it's not just simply to, to sing a few good songs and to hear a really long sermon, but it's actually to anticipate the great rest we're all going to have together when we see Jesus and enjoy him forever. And when we gather around the Lord's table, that's what we're getting a taste of. When we gather in here for dinner tonight, round food, feasting, that's another anticipation of what it's going to be like when we finally get to put our feet up and rest from our striving and our toil. But until Jesus returns, we keep gathering together and celebrating and spurring each other on. That's what we do. 
to the annual feasts of God's people. Times of feasting and renewal and joy and family and friends anticipating what was to come. You know, and for all of us, again, and especially our atheist friends, it's worth noting that our kind of normalised holiday practices, right? You know, when everyone goes to Port Elliot for Easter and when people take time off for Christmas, our, our reduced Sunday trading hours all have come from this kind of Judeo-Christian ethic of work and rest. We have much to be thankful for. So ultimately, any biblical approach to holidays is that we see them as rest from work, worship to the Lord, and therefore we, are, we, ought, to, we ought to see them as, in part, holy days. Holy days. When, when we take holidays, when we receive holidays, probably a better way to think about it, when we receive holidays as a gift, we ought to see them as, in part, as holy days. Now, right, it's true, right? It's, it's good to take a break from work. I think it's great. And sometimes, I know people, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, you take holidays and you go, yes, it's a break from church. I can't wait to get away. No, I can't wait to get away from church. No, you don't say that at all. That's okay. I think it's okay to have a break from church. You know, things quieten down over summer here at church. Ministry's going to take a knee for a little while. It's good and fine. But here's the challenge, right? When we're on holidays, we don't take a break from the Lord. We don't take a break from the Lord. We don't take a break from his word. We don't take a break from prayer. We don't take a break from reflection. We don't take a break from obedience. And actually, holidays are a great time to get spiritually refreshed, to renew your body, but also to renew your soul. You know, holidays are a great opportunity, you know, to establish new patterns of reading God's word and praying to help you develop your relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the last six months for you of this year has been just, it's been really hard to just keep up a regular time in God's word and in prayer. Holidays can be a really great opportunity just to kind of find a new pattern, start a new way of engaging with God through his word and prayer. So as we wrap it up, here are, I think it's five, yeah, five ways um, to help you be refreshed in body and soul. As you kick, as you maybe take holidays at this time. Firstly, make your holidays partly holy days. Uh, remember, like when you're resting, remember that holidays are partly for you, but they're also partly for the Lord. So when you're at the beach, right, watching that beautiful sunset, when you're at the caravan park, wherever it might be, and you're sitting on the deck and you're sipping on your McLaren Vale 2013 Shiraz or whatever, like just pause for a moment. And thank God for the beauty of that moment and the beauty of what you're, in, you're doing. And also see it as like a, a glimpse of, of what it's going to be like when you're with Jesus and enjoying him forever around that banquet. It's a taste of the best that's yet to come. So do that. Give thanks. Think of your final salvation. Make them holy days. Secondly, read your Bible and pray a little bit every day. That would be a really good thing to do. Um, I shared an article on Slack a little, just a little while ago from a guy called Mike Padgett in Sydney addressed to uni students about how to spend this ridiculously long break that you're, about to, you're either in now or about to go into. Um, it's a really good article. Um, you can hear a bit more about that from him, but he basically said, just read your Bible a little bit and pray every day. 
Um, what I'm going to send out on Slack at the beginning of January is what I've called at this stage at least the Joyous January Bible Reading and Prayer Guide. That's what I'm going to send out. You can get that by Slack. Um, what will be there? It'll be a short passage to read and a little prayer pointer just to help you perhaps establish some good patterns um, throughout January to kickstart your year into 2020. So look out for the Joyous January Bible Reading and Prayer Guide, which will be sent out by Slack. And um, I, I won't be watching who downloads it. Um, I actually don't even know how you do that, by the way, but, you know, um, it's there for you to use. Um, the thing that I think Mike Padgett reminded us in that article is, you know, when you sit down to read the Bible, you know, every day during January, I hope, you know, don't expect that your mind's going to be just, like, blown away by what you read. But he says, as you do that sort of day in, day out, you will find that your anxieties decrease, your perspective changes, your love for God will guaranteed increase. So try that out. Well, the third thing there is get along to church every week. Um, you know, I just said, you know, this is a nice time just to kind of chill out and relax. But get along to church. Wherever you find yourself in, on your holidays, do your best to get along to church. I struggle with this. Um, but if you can, get along to church. Find a church that teaches the Bible, uh, where you can sit under the Word of God, you can be with God's people, be encouraged, receive the Lord's Supper. Get along to church. Do that wherever you find yourself. Fourthly, um, Stretch your brain as you relax your body. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Stretch your brain as you relax your body. One thing is, you know, like holidays come and you can just go switch off and you're just like chilling out, doing nothing at all, just soaking it in. That's okay. But why don't you actually take the time to kind of get your hands on a good book and stretch yourself theologically? Get to know God better by reading good God books about God. And so I'm going to send this out on Slack as well tonight, or probably it's like tomorrow. My top five, it's all about top fives, right? My top five books that I want to encourage you to read, or you could read over summer. The first one is, I haven't got them on the screen, it's um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. You know, so if you're looking for a really good book that just kind of helps you get a good picture of, of the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, and then what it means for you to live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in a really engaging way. Mere Christianity is great. Um, it's been printed that often now that it's, it's almost free, right? You can go to Kurung and pick it up for virtually nothing. So um, a really great book. Um, the second one is this. I've been banging on about this one for a long time. Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Brilliant British writer, now living in the US. Um, she's an apologist. She's a brilliant author. Um, and here she engages with 12 of the really challenging or confronting questions that Christianity needs to have an answer for. Um, and so if you want to stretch your brain, like know what you believe more deeply and clearly and also be prepared to answer tough questions, then this is a really great book. Really good to read. Um, really good to read. Um, the third one is um, On the Road with St. Augustine, um, a real-world spirituality for restless hearts. Um, if you're a bit of a mess like me, um, if you're... You know, your heart's all over the place often and you're working out, how does it really, how do I really live out this Christian faith? Can I encourage you to read this book? It's wonderfully well written. Um, it's not an autobiography of a guy named St. Augustine. It's written by another guy. But it's like you're just kind of walking through his life, wrestling with some stuff. Um, it's a really beautifully written book. So I can encourage you to read that one. Um, I mentioned this the other day. The Gospel Comes with a House Key um, by Rosaria Butterfield. Um, practicing radically ordinary hospitality um, in a post-Christian world. Beautifully written, wonderful author. I think that'll change the way you approach 
putting on meals and showing hospitality. So that's a great one to set up your 2020. And um, lastly, really quickly, these two books um, uh, by a guy named David Murray and Shona Murray. They're married. Um, this one's written for blokes called Reset. This one's written for women called Refresh. And um, again, if you've kind of come to the end of 2020 and you're going, I really need some help about sort of thinking through how last year has just gone and how can I step into 2020 with some clarity and a bit of purpose and shape to my Christian life. Um, in a, these two books are really wonderful. Um, yeah. This one was written for men, and then people go, why'd you write it just for men? What about the women? And he says, it's on the way. And then this one turned up. Um, there are just different things that men and women kind of wrestle with and think about things differently. So really great, pra- theologically rich, um, pr- practical to the hilt. So really great books. There you go. There's my top five. I'll send them out through Slack um, over there. And then the last thing, as we wrap it up, relax and rest in Jesus. As Jesus said when he came, when God came to planet Earth, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Relax in Jesus. Now, rest is God's favourite image of salvation. Make your holidays partly to you, but partly to the Lord, and give thanks. Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. We thank you tonight uh, for the, uh, the gift of work, Father, and thank you for uh, the, the way that the work that we do and the way we contribute to the world is actually the way you've designed us. And Lord, we pray just for our city uh, at this moment, uh, recognising that our city is a city that does struggle in this area. We have the lowest unemployment in the country. And Lord, so we pray for the men and women of our city, uh, for the leaders of our state. Uh, Father, give them wisdom, uh, Father, in how to not just lead our state with wisdom and with your justice, but also in a way that's creative, that might create more work in this city. Lord, we pray for the members of our church here tonight who are looking for work. Perhaps they've been looking for work for a long time. Lord, do provide. Lord, and we thank you, not just for work, but we thank you that you've wired us for rest. You've blessed us with rest. So Lord, help us uh, to rest in a way that honours you and rest in a way that is good for us. And so, Father, as we, some of us, step into this holiday season, Father, may we use the rest that you've given us wisely to not just renew our bodies, but also to renew our souls with your help. So, Lord, help us to to be men and women who are in the Bible, in your word, who are talking to you in prayer, who are living lives of obedience. And as we do enjoy your good creation wherever we find ourselves, help us to count these days as holy days. Receive them with thanks. And, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.